2: I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The U.S. Air Force flies, fights, and wins in air, space, and cyberspace. Cyberspace is a key component of its operating environment, which is dynamic and requires technological innovation. The U.S. Air Force continues to shift from primarily building, protecting, and defending the network to a convergence of integrated efforts in and through and from cyberspace in order to execute its core missions. Airmen at every level need timely and accurate information to make decisions and act upon them. The ways of accessing and sharing information have evolved through innovation and technology. How is the US Air Force identifying new technologies and promoting innovation? What is the US Air Force's approach towards IT modernization? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Frank Kineshny, Chief Technology Officer at the US Air Force. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Bill Shaw. Frank, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
0: Glad to be here. Great.
2: So, Frank, before we um, we kick off the conversation, I-, I like to give some context to our listeners. Uh, would you describe the mission of your office, and how does it support the overall mission of the Air Force and DOD as a whole?
0: The the overall mission of the CTO's office is to inject new technology innovation into the entire Air Force in terms of IT. So we we actually do this across the board, across all the matchcoms, across all the programs, as well as across uh, DOD. In fact, we have lots of coordination with DOD to do this. Right.
2: So can you give us a sort of a sense of scale for the, the A6, the CIO shop? How is it organized? How, who do you work with within that
0: group? Okay. This is kind of interesting because uh the shop is, is the CIO shop is an ASICS, which means we have some capability in operational side okay. as well. That that but not the CIO side. Okay. So the CIO side is uh, governance, oversight, and policy. And so you have to look at it from both ways. As the policy and guidance and oversight, I do the technical view of it okay. across the board. Got it. Now, as the operational side is so just for the comp side, I say actually support the comp side. And what they do, I actually support the other operational sides as well. So I'm called upon to do uh, technology injection or reviews of various projects that we're currently talking about. So this is part of the scope that I have. Now my team is kind of small, but it's meant to be small because we actually extract people f- the SMEs from across the Air Force to actually do work for us. So we'll have the other CTOs in each of the match counts in fact we talked with the CTOs every other week, and we have a face-to-face every six months, to actually talk about how the CTO organization, being everybody, all the CTOs and the match comms, get together and how they want to go forward with new technologies, and we discuss how we're going to implement things
3: across the board. Frank, you already mentioned that the Air Force has slotted your role as a CTO into the ASIC CIO organization. And given that, you've touched on some of your responsibilities. I'm curious what the difference between the CTO and the CIO function is within the organization what that dynamic is between the two roles.
0: Okay. Well, the C- CIO is, again, it's oversight governance. And I'm the techno technology arm of that oversight and governance, if you will. I do standards. I do DOD interfacing. I do other component interfacing for the technology side. I go across the board getting awareness of all the technologies in, in the industry and determining how they can be best apply to the missions that the Air Force particularly has. And we do this a lot. We talk to three to five vendors a week based upon technology areas that we want to investigate. And we actually go further with them in deep dives at times and we invite other people from like the other two-letter organizations to be there with us, as well as the CISO, depending on what's really going on, depending on what the project is. And then we refer them. We refer them to other components within the Air Force as necessary, and we say, hey, you guys need to look at this because this is something interesting. We also look at it from the viewpoint of uh, roadmaps that we have to plan out for the Air Force, because sometimes we see technology that does not, at, at the face value, would not be applicable, but could be extended to do various things. In fact, one of the – and I won't mention who, but we actually – they came in and told us they were doing this particular thing. We said, hey, that's really great, but that's not what we want. We want this other little piece that you you think you're doing as a subordinate piece, but that's really the piece we want. And they have actually – we're actually using them right now for that other piece because it worked really well. And they didn't realize that. It was an identity management piece. But it was, it was surprising that, you no, know, they never thought about that. And all of a sudden, they're pushing that and they're selling it to other components in the Air Force. So it's kind of interesting how that actually plays out.
2: So, you know, you mentioned – technology. Does that include, just for our audience, does that include software, hardware? Yes. What what does that mean? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) So it's all that, the whole kid. It's all that. Okay. So uh, thanks for that context. So, you know, in your role, what are some of your key, say, management challenges that you've faced and, and how have you sought to address them?
0: Well, I think the, the chief management talent challenge is basically how do we coordinate across the Air Force with this technology? I mean, we develop a target baseline, which is supposed to be the, the two to five year out technologies that we want to produce that we want to go forward with, and this is a futuristic view. It is not a current view, okay. and as, as we say, it's two to three, two to five years out. We find that that's close enough to being reality because everything changes in six months in the IT industry. So we want to push it. Say, here's what we want to do, and we do it for various things like uh, uh, some of it was for data management, some of it was for uh, uh, position navigation and technologies, some of it's for artificial intelligence. Where we want to actually go, and what tool sets. When we see the tool sets, we determine, hey, that's really where I think they're going to, but they may not be there yet. And so this is a target that says, here's what we want to get out of the baseline. And this target is open. It's not a closed target. We actually push it out to, uh, well, we pushed it out to LCMC a while ago. then they were supposed to do implementation baseline. That's currently being swayed into a ITSM kind of a role that we're doing at uh, through CIO's office now. And so the inject will be in the ITSM process of here's the technologies you want to go forward with and how are you going to manage those in, in requirements for the new budget and things.
3: So you've been in the, the role for for some time now. You've seen a lot of changes across the organization. I'm curious what has surprised you the most since taking on this role?
0: Uh, what surprised me the most is the the quickness of which the uh, military personnel come and go. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean that it's been a it's been a challenge to actually Get, I mean, I got right people I get people with PhDs all the time coming in to be my deputy and things. However, they're only there for two years. <sighs> and so the problem space is always, how, I, how do you maintain continuity? I now have a civilian deputy, which helps that continuity, but I still have to have the military people in there because they bring in enough operational experience that's necessary when we start talking about what the target should look like, and they also bring connectivity to the other components in the operational side. So that's been the hardest challenge, really, is, is trying to coordinate all this and then trying to coordinate across the Air Force, and again across the Air Force, it's 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 people leave that you are depending upon and you're relating to, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So,
2: uh, Frank, could you tell us a little bit more about your career path? Um, what brought you to your current leadership
0: role? Uh, somebody actually talked me into it. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yes, what happened was I was at uh, I was at AT Uh I was the CTO, the CIO, and basically running some of the operations. And I was tired of running operations and, and being the CIO. <laughs> and so I said, I want to get back to technology again. And so I, one of my friends who used to be in marketing was, was into the Pentagon and was, is, had a role there. And he was trying to do a technology basis. And he said, well, why don't you come over and we'll generate a CTO position? And if I said, if they, you do, yeah, I'll come over and, and I'll try to help you guys. And so that's how I got there.
2: <laughs> um. So given your role and your both private sector and, and now uh, your service in the public sector, I'd like to understand better your leadership style. Um, would you outline some of your key leadership principles? And what are the characteristics in your experience of an effective leader?
0: I think first of all, you have to listen to your people. <laughs> That's one of the essential characteristics. Sometimes you think that you know everything and you really don't. <laughs> And you really have to go out and, and understand where they're coming from because we have meetings all the time and they argue with me and I expect them to argue with me, which is good because I'm not right all the time. If I and Then I try to convince them I'm right all the time. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to listen to them. So, and the other thing, I think you always have to be truthful and honest with them. I mean, that's necessary. You have to tell them what's going on. You can't try to hide things from them because they'll find out anyways. <laughs> and then your credibility is shot. And... I think that's basically the first two that you've got to think of. Now, technology is pretty broad across the basis, And so a lot of the job that I have is educating whoever comes into the group or into A6 and trying to educate them as to here's what's going on with technology. And a lot of this is, uh, especially for the military guys, it's basically here's what we did two years ago. Let's not do it again. Mm-hmm. And here's why. And so a lot of that is the leadership style of saying, you know, I'm, I'm training you. I'm exposing you to all sorts of things. Like when I get a new military deputy, I have to expose him or her to all sorts of things that they've never been exposed to before. And it takes a while for them to get used to that, because that's a different change in what they're used to. They're used to doing, you know, one role. And now I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about, you know, quantum and A and cybersecurity and everything today. And we're going to visit, you know, Space and Missile Center, and we're going to look at ground stations and everything else. And they're like, really? <laughs> It's a totally different viewpoint of what we do as opposed to what the what the normal role of the operational person is. How do
2: advances in technology ease the path toward IT modernization? We will ask the U.S. Air Force's chief technology officer, Frank Kineshny, when our conversation continues on the business of government hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at
4: businessofgovernment.org. How will this office drive the future of IT modernization? What's next for shared services in the federal government? Join host Michael Keegan on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions and so much more with Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator, GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.
2: Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Frank Kineshny, Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Bill Shaw. So, uh, Frank, what is your uh, strategic technology vision and where I'm going with that kind of question is, uh, basically, could you outline your uh, key strategic priorities?
0: Gee, that's what everybody wants to know. <laughs> However, it changes. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about in generalities. Uh, we're always mission-focused. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at uh, my target baseline, for instance, we base our targets on uh, use cases and scenarios that the operational community gives us. So, for instance, we'll be talking – we have one on mobility and everything else. was going to for mobility It's a use case? And so we look at – the strategic plan is to try to alleviate some of the use case issues that we have from the field. And that changes – I mean, we do talk two target releases a, a year, roughly, and so we get different things every six months. Mm-hmm. And so, strategic direction is kind of rough to say, because everybody wants me to say, okay, here's the document, go follow it. Well, that's the old way of looking at things. I mean, we don't like to produce documents and say, here, because he, shelf life is, is too fast and they just don't bother reading it. So, so it's a push to say, the operational community, tell us what your problem spaces are, don't tell us the solution. We will figure out in the target baseline what your capabilities should be that you should be delivered to you. And therefore, we will probably field those capabilities. And that's the way we're playing it right now.
2: Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are some of the key – and you may have hinted at it, but I would like to sort of yeah, – what are some of the key internal and and external drivers and trends that sort of inform or shape your vision for your office?
0: I see, and that's hard to say too. Yeah. I mean it's it's – the, the internal—I'll tell you what—it what usually happens is we come up with something in the target baseline, and two years later, everybody says, "Hey, that's a great idea." Two-year cycle of which people absorb things. Mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago we said we—we probably talked about this—we we, we said we, we need to take our handle on data because we're having a problem with data. So two years later, we have a CDO now. Okay, it's—it's it's a two-year cycle of saying we have a problem space, and it's hard. Uh, the drivers are still the mission. I mean, we're changing the mission. We're changing the way we actually do missions. We're setting a mission defense teams now Mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, just looking at the network per se. Now, that's driving a whole set of more capability requirements at that level. So we talk about a mission thread. What's the mission thread? You know, what does it consist of? Well, initially, the focus is on, oh, the airplane is part of the mission thread. Okay, what about all the other ancillary things that support getting that airplane off the ground? That's part of the mission threat. And so the initial focus is on okay, let's look at the mission threat. But then we talk about, okay, what is the risk factor for all the things that make the mission threat up now? And what tool sets and what capabilities you have to do to grab those mission, that, that that risk factors for all those and come up with a risk factor that says, here's the risk factor for actually this mission now. And so that's that's kind of like how we play it. It's going to be a mission. We're very much mission oriented now.
3: Yeah, Frank, many of your are- Your business systems, your mission systems, they're running uh, on legacy systems. That is a good thing. It means they've been out there fielded, successful, sustained, filling a a mission requirement. But we know you are looking at modernization. We know you're looking at and have started a series of cloud migration initiatives across the Air Force. Can you tell us more about your efforts in migrating to the cloud and and really a multi-part question you know, what is the Air Force's approach to using the cloud going to be in context of other larger DOD initiatives and, and really what is next for the Air Force in this area?
0: Well, we are using the cloud. A1 is up an or, its own organization to actually do the migration, support the migration. We have H- LCMC setting up the MSO basically to support another, the other side of the migration efforts to do this. And so we realized at the beginning that we had to have some organization support the migration that was different from the PMOs, because they had no idea what it meant to migrate. I mean, they had no idea. They had no cost, no idea what the cost is because we'd always get, well, how much is it going to cost me to do this and do I have it in my budget? And a lot of times, you know, we would say we don't know the cost and they say, well, I can't put it in my budget. So we have chicken-egg situation going on immediately. And so now that we have some support, we, we have some ideas of how much it actually costs to migrate based upon history now of actually doing this. And so the idea is to move to multiple clouds or use also software as a service, which we have for one of our, our uh, military personnel applications right now, we're actually running that. And that's been working fine. So the eventuality is to start moving things out to a particular cloud. Now the clouds for us are two places, or three places, it's DOD clouds, commercial clouds, and clouds on the bases. The Air Force philosophy is that we fight from a base. <laughs> So therefore, any mission-critical applications that have to be run at the base have to be at the base. So if the com network goes down or is, is a denied service to us, whatever, we cannot link to a commercial cloud or a DoD cloud because the comm network may be out. So the base has to operate independently of itself, of everybody else. So, so the idea is we have multiple clouds that we're having. And people get very upset about that when we say, oh, yeah, we're going to get ourselves down to 126 clouds. You know, and they're like, what do you mean 126 clouds? You know, we have three, two DODs and we have three, four commercials. <laughs> I mean, what are you know, you're going to do? 126. Well, that's the way that we have to fight. And, they, and we, we explain, okay, we have certain apps that have to set at the base, like you know, fuel management. Like, sorry, it can't be centralized because it's just one of those things that we do from the base. And so there's things like that that we, we do. So the philosophy is to go to a cloud. Now, there's another philosophy, too. As we have legacy systems out there and they are difficult to actually migrate to the cloud, what uh, mobile applications can we actually put on top of them to actually do a mobile version of this that allows them to look like they're in a cloud? <laughs> And so we're talking about A4, the logistics side is actually doing one of these right now. They're linking to a legacy app. Uh legacy app is rather complex, logistics wise, it has multiple screens, you know, it's standard old legacy app. And so they're actually porting it down to a, a phone level or a pad level capability where they never see the screens. They just see data entry points and exit points and searches and they get the information back from the legacy. So that's the other part of the modernization is how do I maintain the legacies because I can't instantaneously migrate them to a new capability. And so this is the way we're talking about
3: modernization. You're also about to engage on a, a pretty massive effort, enterprise IT as a service that will introduce new capabilities from industry, being industry-led, and and you guys have stated very clearly the purpose is to allow you and the airmen to focus on higher value key initiatives across the Air Force and let industry focus on some of the commodity levels of IT. How will that involvement of industry affect the day-to-day operations for you, the CIO's office, the CTO's office, et cetera? It's going to affect the
0: operational guys for sure. (laughs) And then that's one of the questions that we have right now is, how, how are they going to, how, I mean, we want the network to be a, a quote-unquote commodity. It's a special commodity. It's not a pure commodity because we have to work with whoever provides that network. We are still the defenders of that network. And so the question is, what does that mean when we come joint unison? Because if you take any of the commercial wireless networks out there right now, you know, the LTEs, we can't say, guess what? I want to I grab stuff off your network. And so this is going to have to be a relationship that we have when we start going forward with this. Now, the idea is to actually move the current staff off that's doing COM on the basis and move them into uh, the MDTs, mission defense teams, mm-hmm. put them into a role that's more suited for them. Now, the, remember, the mission threads are sitting at par, part of that mission thread is part of the network. <laughs> and so the question is, how is they going to play with this mission thread analysis when you're giving the commoditization of the network out to somebody else? So. We're going to have to work through that, is and that's one of the issues that we have to work through when we start actually coming out with the contract and looking with who gets the vent who actually gets the award, and how we're going to play this. We had a little bit of a discussion yesterday as where the limits would be,
3: but again, this is going
0: to be a pathfinder effort because we've never done this before.
3: We spent a good bit of time talking about modernization. And how has technology eased the path towards your IT modernization efforts? You know, can you talk about some of the the successes the Air Force has had with modernization? And then, really, maybe most importantly, what still needs to happen to accelerate modernization across the okay? Course? Okay,
0: there's there's two ways looking at modernization. How can I migrate my old applications? and What can I do to generate new applications? For the for the old ones, we talked about uh, auto auto provisioning out to the clouds. We've we've, we've fielded some of those capabilities already. We're trying to field some more, so it'd be easier to actually provision out provision out in a in a secure manner, so that every, all the pa- platform is stigged already accordingly so you don't have to do that work. So we're working with that as well. The new side is, you know, DevOps. What can we do for DevOps for new systems? We're talking about uh, doing a process for DevOps that will basically get most of the ATO credentials done ready for the RMF, risk management framework. And so we currently have one process that we think is gonna work that we can actually do what I hate to say is ATO in a day, but it means that I may send the process and the documentation and from the process that's automated, we can actually go and field an application within a day after they start. So we're playing with that as well, as well as what do we want to do for continuous monitoring? What applications, what tool sets can we utilize to do continuous monitoring, not only for the risk management framework, but also for the financial controls, for the audits that we have to do for the business side? What can I do to actually put things out there that actually supports uh, telling me that all of a sudden I have a FISCAM control that is no longer valid? And then I can get my action officers to actually fix that. That's not. And that's one of the issues that we have right now, what, what tool sets we want to have to automate all of these processes. And we're trying several of them right now in experiments and pilots. Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, given your role as the uh, CTO, you have to look over the technology horizon in a sense, Frank. Um, how do you balance today's mission inputs with as we discussed earlier, the focus on learned, long-term enhancements to the system.
0: Well, you, you got to take it from an enterprise viewpoint. Uh, and that, that's the key here. Uh, and people get wrapped around, I have new technology, nice, shiny object. The question is, how am I going to use that nice, shiny object in, in five years from now?
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you have to look at it from what do you think the Air Force is going to do in five years? Where, where do you think everything is going? And, and so that's why you need some inputs from the sneeze and from the field as to what's really happening. And we depend upon that a lot. That's why I, I contact my CTOs for the Matchcoms a lot and talk to them because I want to know what they think is going to happen. And so our focus is always look at the future as opposed to looking at the present because the present is just is there but it's going to change. And so when we look at a tool set, as I say, we look at it from the viewpoint of, of, okay, this tool is really cool, but what do I really need in five years? Like we've talked about you know, having risk management for the, for the mission thread now. Now, nobody's – I mean, we keep telling you, here's what we want. Can you do a risk uh, status for each of the components and add them together in such a way that we can determine what the mission threat is and then determine the risk factor? And then tell me what the mitigation strategies are for that that if I get an attack vector of the site. What can I do automatically? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at it from that viewpoint of, you know, I know that we don't have all MDTs established, and I know that we don't have the risk. But I'm telling the field that we have to say, yes, this is what our goal is to do. And that's some of the goals that we actually push out there and say, "This is part of the target. There. This is what we want to see." And that's just—you always have to look at it from the enterprise viewpoint as to what's happening, and then you have to look at it from the enterprise viewpoint what DoD is also doing.
2: And how do you do that? How do you? Kind
0: of I spend of a lot of time in meetings with DoD. <laughs> 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 yes, I mean you know we always like to drive the DoD agenda to be the Air Force agenda, mm-hmm. and you know you can do that sometimes, and sometimes you can't, and. But it's the question of, you know, you have to have that, that interchange between the two to say, yeah, I think this is what we need to do. Or, or you know, DUD comes in and says, this is what we need to do. And, they, yeah, OK, we can work with it. What is the U.S. Air Force
2: doing to identify new technologies and promote innovation? We will ask its Chief Technology Officer, Frank Kineshny, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The Federal Government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Frank Kineshny, Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Bill Shaw. So, uh, Frank, as the CTO, uh, you are no doubt ahead of the curve um, on the continued implication of the Internet of Things uh, IoT. And so to that end, could you tell us more about Air Force's mobility strategy where do you see the Air Force taking mobile connectivity over the next few years?
0: All right. The, uh, it depends on what you define as mobile. This is always good. This is always a good start. Uh, we're basically defining all IoT as mobile. We define pads as mobile. We, in fact, we've, at the point, we're defining some of the laptops as mobile because they're flat and small enough that it looks like, the, looks like a pad. And so the question is, how are we going to manage all this mobility? Some of those who have IP addresses are somewhat easier to manage than those who don't. Many of the IoT sensors that we have don't and have bunches of protocols. And so the mobility strategy is we're going to try to manage and authenticate all IoT devices that we have and determine how we're going to use that data across the board for uh, for mission analysis as well as as for risk analysis. And as we get farther down the path, and we've gone down this path a while now with uh, looking at uh, what are the available gateways that we can stick mobile IoT devices into? What is the MDMs that we actually have to have We've developed a capability document for what we believe is the MDM that we have to have. And we'll probably not have a single MDM in the Air Force. We'll probably have multiple MDMs in the Air Force. And we may get them as a service as opposed to actually maintaining them ourselves. This is what – because we, as we go down, we want to have lots of things as a service as opposed to having airmen actually do things. Just because they, they should be working on mission, not on what we call a quote-unquote commodity, which is not really a necessary commodity, but it's, it's close enough. So – the strategy is basically go and say, okay, we, we have lots of devices. We have to connect connecting these devices into our networks now as to what they actually mean. LUM are there ready? LUM are IoT sensors on, on vehicles as well as IoT sensors on cameras and emotion detectors and everything else. What does this mean as a mission? What is our risk analysis going to be? And therefore, we get into some data analytics now as, as opposed to anything else. This is the... A flood of data that's going to come in. And my favorite one is when you talk about mission threads, I'm always like, okay, if I have an IoT sensor on the the tanker truck that's fueling the aircraft, and it's for the the tire sensor, and the tire sensor comes back to me and says, guess what? It's a flat tire. Do I believe it's a flat tire, which will take out the truck, or do I believe it's an attack? (laughs) So the question becomes, how authenticated is the data that's coming across that sensor, do I have to look at prior history to say, oh, it's been, it's been going low for the last week, and therefore I believe it's real or not? And what do I take as a summation of all the IoT sensors that I have to determine is this going to be a truism or is it a falsism? Because all of a sudden, my risk profile for my particular mission thread now is, is, is turning yellow to red. If I can't get a truck there to fuel the aircraft, it's not going to get there. So it's a question as we play this as to risk profiles and everything else associated. So the mobility strategy is kind of a broad strategy that says I have to bring in mission threads, I have to bring in risk analysis, I have to bring all this into my strategy now because I cannot just assume that all devices are okay. And then we get to mobile devices, we talk about what authentication I want to have. We're talking about multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor being that... Initially, you know, we had CAC sleds for all our, our mobile devices, and we all hate CAC sleds. So the question is, what do I have to have? And the answer is, it depends on the data that you're actually viewing. I may give you access based upon, uh, you know, your fingerprint with drive certs. But then again, you know, if I have some really critical data, I may want other authentication mechanisms that you have in your device. I may ask for your retina scan. I may, may actually do it in the background so you don't have me doing it. It may be your motion detector, your gait. So we're trying to figure out what is the best strategy for, for releasing data on a mobile device. Again, it's going to have to be based upon what the data is because for now we're going from the viewpoint of data is critical. Applications are critical actually data. We're defending the application and the data and concerned about the risk associated with that. And the network is there too, but we are very paranoid about the data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um,
2: in, given your background, given your current role, what constitutes true disruptive change versus, say, simple evolutionary improvement?
0: If it upsets people, it's true disruptive change. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line. I mean, we, we talk about... Like, uh, how, how? what is disruptive to you? And now people will think that network and enterprise IT as a service is disruptive. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about it for two years. Yeah, that's true. yeah. <laughs> Now, is it evolutionary or is it disruptive? I mean, right. half the staff think it's totally disruptive. <laughs> they can't cope with it because it's a total change in environment and how they're going to actually manage this. Okay. Uh, industry it's probably evolutionary mm-hmm. out there in the commercial side. I mean, they've been talking about it for years, they kind of got to that point, and they're doing it. So it's, it's your viewpoint of what's upsetting to you more than anything else. Because when we talk about you know uh, ATO in a day, that's disruptive. Yeah. Now, you know, I talk to the people out there who are doing DevOps, and they're like, oh yeah, we do this all the time. <laughs> so so yeah. it is totally context-driven as to what's disruptive.
3: As we talk about disruptive change, innovation, modernization, Clearly, the key is to access it quickly and implement and execute it as quickly as you can. And the long pole in the tent, as we all know, is often the reality of federal acquisition. And to, to that end, you know, how are you leveraging the emergence of OTAs such as DIOX? Uh, how are you balancing when to la- leverage those rapid acquisition vehicles versus traditional FAR-based acquisition and what's the, the long-term vision for the Air Force in terms of DOD 5000 OTAs and how those can all be combined to position you to quickly take advantage of those technologies? Well,
0: uh, DO- DOX believes that they have the process now of going from an OTA to an actual procurement contract or sustainment contract already. I mean, they can have done it with uh, uh, Transcom already with their one contract. So they believe that that's the way to go. Uh, we'll have to see if that's going to stand up sufficiently, but that would be very interesting if it would, because the OTA is supposed to be the the uh, competition in in the place of I know a regular RFP or proposal, or whatever, because it's a physical proposal. In essence, you're actually testing out the capabilities. We use we use OTAs. I mean, we try to use OTAs all the time. We use create agreements. Uh, we use testing agreements. The same thing. We we are. Trying to find various ways of evaluating tool sets before we actually want to procure the tool set, and this is what's important because I mean if you put on an r p and you're trying to make the capability and whatever you come come up with an issue of do I really believe what's in the paper <laughs> and you know some of us are have death by PowerPoint, you know so we're like okay. If, I need to test it out. Now, a lot of times procurement says I have to do a bake-off and whatever, and that takes year or whatever, and technology changes rapidly within that year. So like an OTA is kind of a very interesting vehicle to actually do that bake-off, if you will, right away. and does, it does test, test the tool set out of what you want to do. Like we have a testing agreement, with the same thing. We can do a testing agreement that says uh, we want to test out the, your device and show us what it's like. Now, the other problem we always have is that the device has to be accredited to be on the network. And that's where we get into some of the, some other issues of, you know, if it's not accredited network, we still do the OTA. The question is, how can they become accredited on the network easily? Now, that's because now we get into disruptive issues. <laughs> how disruptive do you want to be with the accreditation process or whatever? Do you want to red team that device and assume that that's sufficient enough to do the accreditation or you want to go through the standard process for it or not? And that's some of the issues that we have to tackle with when we go forward. Yeah, I think that, that we are trying to figure out a way to to still have open competition and evaluation and still come out with the, a tool set that supports the, the mission fast enough that
3: it's not old by the time it actually gets there. Across government, to include DOD, we've seen... Uh... A lot of executives investing in and demonstrating measurable improvement programs by integrating data-based analytics into their decision-making. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about the efforts by the Air Force to expand the use of data analytics as a tool to drive decision-making? And then how advanced are the analytics improving operations and, and what are some of the key challenges you see in this area across the Air Force? Well, I
0: think the real challenge is that Everybody's kind of doing it in the Air Force. <laughs> you have the pockets out there that are actually doing some of this right now and making decisions based upon it. The the real issue is what is the authoritative data that they're actually using to make those decisions? Because we we know when we, we started investigating this a couple of years ago, we found that oh yeah, there was a a fuel management analytics cell that was running some stuff, and you're like, okay, that's really great. Have you thought about you know throwing in weather into the fuel management cell? And the answer was, well, yeah, yeah, we never got there yet. You know, it's a question of there's pockets that are doing things right now, which is good. The problem is coordination of those pockets and providing the necessary tool set to support that. And that's one of the things that for the CDO office that we've always talked about, having a set of tools, analytical tools or whatever, that can be utilized across the board by anybody who has can get to the data. And the CDO is also supposed to provide the data as well. And that in we do have a chief analytics officer, by the way. <laughs> Which, which which, is the A9 person that's supposed to be doing analytics per se, and that's their job is to do analytics. And they answer a lot of questions via analytics. And now we also have uh, we found we have knowledge officers or want to be chief knowledge officers within the COCOMs. They want to be, it's, it's basically the same role except a different <laughs> title. And so the question is we got to combine all these together to figure out how we're going to go forward with, you know actually fielding analytics out to the field as opposed to the pockets that we have right now and coordinating it better.
2: So, Frank, you know, some federal. Uh, the rise of the chief uh, data officers has been going on for a couple of years, if not more. And, and a lot of federal agencies have kind of embedded the CDO in the CIO shop. The Air Force hasn't. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about why that's the case. But more importantly, your perspective on what prompted the establishment of this office would be great, and how do you work together with the CDO?
0: I actually s- established a uh, a data panel, the Air Force data panel, two and a half years ago now, because we couldn't find some data. <laughs> I mean, that was it was training data. We were looking for training data for particular just... for a particular application. It was it was uh, it was PM training data. And we didn't we couldn't find a, a reliable source of PM training data. We couldn't find who had who had the data. And so we said, I guess this is probably a prevalent concept. We looked at some of the scenarios that we had for from the other organizations, and they were all like, yeah, we can't find data either. <laughs> so we said, okay, we'll set up a data panel. Now the data panel was established and I ran the data panel for a while with the basis of saying, okay, what governance do we need to establish and what do we need to do to actually get to this point? We actually came up with, yeah, we need to do a chief data officer. And so we wrote a We had a charter and everything else. And that's what flew out into the, the CDO actually being established in the Air Force was that there was a, a rise in the idea, yes, we, we don't know where our data is and we don't know what's authoritative, so let's actually set up a functioning organization that, do, that does this. Now, the reason why it's not reporting to the CIO it's reporting to the under or the, or the chief or it's reporting to that level because the CDO is supposed to have access to all data. Okay. That's a good distinction. And so you want to be able to have high enough within the organizational structure to say, oh, yes, that's, that's what the, that level says I can get all data because is a strategic asset for the Air Force. And so the idea is we didn't want pockets of, of data that would be hidden away because somebody says i'm I'm a four star and I'm not going to let you have my data. you know so and it's just a question of of making sure that the data is authoritative and then' guarded accordingly for access. And so that's what the why the CDO is where where the CDO is.
3: Now so the Air Force has always had the, the mission to fight and win in both the air and space domains. And of course, we have the emergence of the cyber domain. So how are we balancing or integrating the cyber domain and that mission into the air and space domain? How are you coordinating that with what the other services are doing in the cyber domain as well? Uh, and most importantly, what is the Air Force doing and DoD doing from your perspective jointly that will give us that competitive edge in, in cyberspace going forward? Well,
0: we're, we're, we're going towards multi-domain ops right now. Multi-domain ops, C, C squared, command and communication. I mean, and we have to do that. I mean, that's the Air Force way of how we're going to manage the future. And what that means is that you have to look at it from a viewpoint of I have all these resources and how am I going to actually utilize those resources in a concerted way to actually achieve a particular mission. And we, we've talked about this for a while, but now we're getting some traction as to what it really means to do this as opposed to just talking about it. And it's, it is messy because, I mean, the Air Operations Center kind of does some of that, but, you know, they're going to have to be enlarged to actually consider other capabilities like EW as well as cyber, you know, what do we have cyber effects as well as kinetic effects? And how do you combine both of them together and using all the assets that we have, including space and drones and everything else that we have into a unified vector that will either suppress an enemy or stop the enemy? I mean, this is, this is the issues that we have. Now, from the other component-wise, yeah, I mean, we know we, we, we work with the Army and the Navy all the time. I mean, we have various talks with the Navy about, you know, how we do air-sea air, sh- air sea battles and how we coordinate as well as the Army with their forward operating bases. And so, so the, the issue basically is how will the communication be established across all the components? And that's what, the, you know, the Joint is supposed to be thinking about because in actuality, we all work for the the comps And that may be a lost fact on people, but... <laughs> But the co are the ones that direct the mission, and we're just a component within the co-comps. However, we have to think about it from the multi-domain aspects of that. Looking at the cyber, the advance
2: of, of the cyber domain, but in terms of the, uh, the attacks on your network, and you know, what I was wondering is what, what kind of enhancements have you pursued in the IT security, but more importantly – what are some of the persistent challenges in this area that you're dealing with?
0: Besides the attacks <laughs> all the time, you know? Constantly. Constantly? Well, that's it's always the way it is. I mean, industry has that too. It's just it's not it's not something that's unique to DoD. I, I think the real issue is, uh, you know, what again? We're trying to defend the data and defend the applications more than anything else. And so, what are we? What safeguards are we putting in for those as opposed to anything else? And so, I, I you'll see that when we we talk about it, it's what defenses are we putting up in terms of authentication to the personnel as well as what other security you want to have at the database level, the data level, so we don't release data out. We've talked about how to do uh, encryption of all the data and tagging the data so that we have access to that as well and hiding the access accordingly so that if it's encrypted, data gets out of the DOT in it can't be encrypted, can't be decrypted. We're trying some of those processes right now as the pilots. and So so the viewpoint is changing from I, I do have to keep the network defenses up i mean it's obvious you have to do that no matter what uh, but some things obviously probably get through the network defenses and there's ways of doing that so you have to have to understand that that so it's a multi-level you know defense systems you have to have all the time and so the levels are basically keep going down lower and lower to the data level and that's that's the way you have to play it is just that you know what are we doing across the board not we're only doing network defenses and so you'll see that you know the traffic-wise, we look at traffic, we look at you know extraction. But when we get down to the application, we have to look at you know what specific tool sets do we want to have to look at a particular traffic flow that are going to a network and ports and protocols, as well as looking at the packets and looking at what authorizations is coming in and validating those authorizations. So it's a, again, it's an enterprise viewpoint of how you have to guard the information. And then the question becomes. We've had this discussion before. Is what specific do I want to segment out particular applications that have different defense capabilities, different defenses associated, and tools associated with it? Do I want to pinpoint down to a particular application and look at all the ports and protocols for that application and the traffic for that application only, and then have different have that same virtualized uh, stack, if you will, security stack for every virtualized application? So I are tailoring my security to the application and the data that's associated with the application now as opposed to saying I just have one
3: big stack sitting in front that does everything. You mentioned earlier 150-plus bases need to operate independently when they have to. Uh, We know there's a lot of similar work being done at at each base sometimes. Have you guys looked at all and doing any pathfinders to look at how AI or advanced analytics can help with processes where automation could be used to allow you to again repurpose some of those key Air Force personnel to, to higher value Oh yeah, all shares. the time <laughs> all the time, I mean and that's the purpose, I mean it's to look at
0: what tech techniques we can actually use across the bases, and when we look at the bases we, we find that there are some applications that are the same across the bases, it's just, it's just one of those things, again though we can't delete that application from the base because there's no way for the base to communicate to an application that's outside the base however, you know uh, productivity wise and mobilization wise we're always looking for new ways of doing things like fuel maintenance and things and fuel management aircraft maintenance is a big deal we're using analytics to do aircraft maintenance for the engines and things and you know it's it will that's being replicated across you probably have to replicate even more and so we get more and more into into data analytics and everything else associated with it and we get better and better uh, data streams if you will to support all that analysis that we have to do What makes an effective CTO?
2: We will ask the U.S. Air Force's Chief Technology Officer, Frank Kineshkne, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology, It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at
4: businessofgovernment.org. How will this office drive the future of IT modernization? What's next for shared services in the federal government? Join host Michael Keegan on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions and so much more with Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator, GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.
2: Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Frank Kineshny, Chief Technology Officer at the US Air Force. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Bill Shaw. So Frank, uh, I talked to my guests about the importance of collaboration and partnerships in achieving mission outcomes. How do you leverage the benefits of partnership and collaboration uh, to to do the work that you do, but more importantly, in your mind how does partnership and collaboration help innovate?
0: Well, since since the government by itself cannot really do everything, we actually depend upon the commercial industry to actually collaborate with them. And collaboration is kind of kind of difficult unless you. I mean, we we have many meetings with them, and, and we tell the commercial industry, "Here's what we really want out of you guys. Here's what we, here's our problem space. Come up with new great solutions to actually help us in our problem space." As opposed to, because we want to get to a capability issue, we don't want to get to a specification of what we really want. Because capabilities are more important to us nowadays, because we cannot specify enough sufficiently to actually get anything done. And so the collaboration comes in lots of meetings we have. As we look at, you know, the roadmaps for the industry partners that we have, we look and say, hey, this is really good, but why don't you consider this? Because this is where we have a real issue going on, as opposed to anything else. And then we do, you know, craters and testing and things associated with it and say, hey, you know, why don't you come into this pilot that we have and actually figure this out with us? That takes a while to actually do this, but it, we we depend upon industry a lot more than we used to depend upon industry. Mm-hmm. I think the realization has come across that commercial is way ahead of ourselves, especially since they have more funds to actually do R&D. And they're dedicated to doing that because that's the, base, the business model is based upon that, and being ahead of the other components that they have. So therefore, we're stuck with uh, trying to do the best we can with what we have. Now, I talk to the other components as well. I talk to the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps a lot. And we all look at it from the same viewpoint is what What are all you guys doing? For instance, you know, we talked about having a uh, – uh, what kind of radios are you actually using when you're out in the field? Simple little question, and it's like, okay, for – For combat comms, I'm using this type of radio from this vendor. And now we're like, well, have you talked with this vendor because they have this kind of capability for this radio? And we come across and say, yeah, maybe I should bring that into the pilot. And so we play that game as well as, you know, we communicate with each other as to what everybody's doing. Because we all have to be in the same fighting game as it will, and we have to communicate with each other. So we actually talk with each other internally across the components as well as... Our external partners when we talk with industry. So you know,
2: I, I was wondering uh, the CTO position itself um, sort of evolved. Um, how has it, in your mind, evolved to being that of a trusted advisor uh, in your role? And more importantly, what's what makes an effective CTO? What kind of qualities?
0: Okay, let's talk about trusted advisor. The and it's interesting in my job because uh, since we have such a small staff. Purposefully, Mm -hmm. and it's purposely a small staff because I cannot build a kingdom. And so everybody's like, okay, he's here to help me. He's not here to take away resources and people and everything else. And so that becomes a a trust viewpoint that they look at us and say, hey, we're we're here to help you. We're not trying to take things away from you. We're trying to give you things. And so that actually helps across the board. It helps with uh, the CIO side too. That you know we we actually give out information to other people within the Air Force. <laughs> We're not hoarding anything. So we are trusted. Uh, I basically do a lot of vendor management myself now because the CEO likes uh, me as a, a group, as a coordination point across all the vendors because we see them all and we all know what's going on. Now, what's a good CTO? I think you have to look for the enterprise viewpoint. I mean, you're there to support the enterprise. You're not there to support yourself. <laughs> And, that, and that's one of the problems that you think people have at times. They're, there, you know, a lot of times they go to research labs and they're there to support themselves. They come out with cool ideas that nobody I and mean, nobody really needs, but it's a really cool idea. And so we going back to what mission do I have to support across the Air Force, and that's what a CTO has to do. Even in industry, when I was in industry a CTO, I had to support the missions across the, you know, the company. It wasn't that oh I have this real cool idea. <laughs> I mean, it had some real cool ideas, but it wasn't going to support the company. So a lot of the ideas come be based, you know, just that. What can I do across the board? And that's what people have to think about. They just can't think small. They have to think large and understand that a lot of people are going to complain to you yeah. all the time. I mean, you know, they're like, I have this problem. Why can't you solve it? And the answer is a lot of times the CEO has the same problem. It's a question of, uh, for the enterprise, this is what we're going to have to do. It may not be what you want to do. But across the board, this is more effective across for the enterprise. And that's the viewpoint you always have to take.
3: So you've mentioned one of the the key roles is scouring industry, looking for new technologies, emerging technologies. You meet with industry three to five times a week, you referenced earlier. You hear a lot of stories, see a lot of widgets, a lot of buzzwords, blockchain, IoT, quantum, AI. From your perspective, which of these emerging technologies are others really hold promise for improving government i t and specifically the Air force mission okay, well, obviously, cloud
0: <laughs> let's start with the basic one okay it 's not something that's cloud it 's virtualization of the applications for for resiliency i mean that 's why it was there it 's for resiliency of the mission as opposed to i 'm just going to move it because i 'm going to be more cost effective because you probably in many cases will not be more cost effective but it allows another mission to resi- again it 's an enterprise viewpoint. why am I doing this i 'm mm-hmm. doing it for resiliency purposes. I have to move things around. If I get an attack, I have to move it quickly. If I have to... I, these are the purposes. Now, AI, we, we believe, is going to take off some of the issues that we have, some of the automation issues. I mean, we're talking about autonomy for some particular activities that we want to do. You have to be careful with autonomy because of the... As, as you probably know, as if you do a neural net, someone's programming that neural net. Now there's some prejudices in that programming, and so you have to be careful of what the prejudices are. So we have to look at a lot of times what's really happening in that AI philosophy of life, machine learning. I'm a really learning machine, or I'm learning what the person who programmed this wants me to learn. <laughs> so you get careful of that. Quantum should be interesting. I mean, we've looked at quantum a lot lately. Uh, Merging technology, we're, we'll play with it and see how it goes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it should be there for, for a lot of stuff we're doing. Uh, IoT is another idea for common things. I mean, we looked about IoT as, as I mean, people think of IoT as SCADA. Yeah. It's not only SCADA. <laughs> I mean, we have a smart base that we're doing some more stuff with. You're going to get to a point where you have a lot of IoT sensors and all the trucks and vehicles and everything else we have. So the question is, how are we going to manage all this IoT? That's going to be another area that we're going to, they we trying to do research in as to what we can do to support that research right now. And we've talked to a lot of vendors about this as to where they should be going with IoT. And, and in fact, we have a, a program that AFRL has that basically starts reprogramming some of those IoT devices at, at, the, at the bit level to actually do some more authentication right now, because some, some IoT devices are really dumb.
2: So, Frank, uh, you've had a great career in the private sector as well now in the public sector. So I was wondering, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in the public se- sector?
0: Uh, I'd first figure out what you want to do. <laughs> now, that's that's a, that's a hard question, but, you know, you can kind of push it out to an array. Now, Or you may want to go to an organization like the Air Force that has lots and lots of things you can do. <laughs> But, but, you know, if you're going to go to an agency, you might as well gear the agency. If you're going to be into, you know, weather, you go to NOAA. <laughs> if, you're going to, if you're going to be in some other ones, you go someplace else. So the question is, what do you really want to be into? Uh, and there's, there's two, two veins in that. There's an operational vein and there's an R&D vein. Do you want to be down and helping the person get the job done in our case, and you know the airmen, you know what are you doing to support their daily lives and their missions? Or you want to do an R and D effort that basically says I'm going to go and look for new technologies and come across and try to do that. And there's labs for the R and D effort across the board. There's DOE labs, the Department of Energy labs that does that too. So it's a question of you know moving to wherever you think you can do the best thing and this is something that you have to think about when you get into it there's lots of programs that the air force and all the appointments have about education about doing special programs about pushing you into uh new roles about doing uh a particular like interns with commercial industry to understand what they're doing there's lots of programs that are out there uh it's dependent upon the person to find those programs. <laughs> so you have to be aggressive and say, yeah, I want to do this. I, you know, I want to do this, and I want to learn this, and what programs can I go out? And you'll find that you'll, it's really, uh, we want pro- people to actually do this. <laughs> and a lot of them, they don't want to, I mean, they want to be stuck in their same thing. Now, if you want to do that, that's cool, too, because I know people who want to program for 30 years, and that's cool if you want to do that. But if you want to learn and expand out, you can you have that opportunity just as well. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go – and I think that – I hate to say this. In some commercial industries, you don't have that opportunity yeah. because they're not that broad in terms of technology and spectrum of operations. While in the, in the commercial or federal sector, you can get all sorts of things. You can go from – like in the Air Force, you can go from satellites to, to missiles to drones to aircraft to – Really, almost anything you like. <laughs> it's just a question of where do you want to actually do anything, and where do you want? Where's your interest? In why?
2: Well, Frank, thanks for coming in today. Um, but more importantly, Bill and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to this
0: country. Oh, well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate that.
2: This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Frank Kineshny, Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Air Force. My co-host from IBM has been Bill Shaw. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful an in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us.
1: This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
4: How will this office drive the future of IT modernization? What's next for shared services in the federal government? Join host Michael Keegan on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions and so much more with Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator, GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500
1: a.m.